Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adel Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adel Marcy. And today, you guys were in for a little bit of a treat. You guys are going to be spoiled rotten because the person I have on the show with me today is not only one of the coolest people I know because he has one of the baddest backgrounds, baddest, badass backgrounds out there that I know. He's also a CPA student, really good copywriter, and not to mention best-selling author. Is that fair to say? Like, you are a best-selling author as well, right? Yes, correct. Cool. Yeah. The one and only Derek Depka, whose name I had to ask because I cannot say his name and I was going to butcher it. Then I'm glad he corrected me. Derek, good to, good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, good to be here, Adel. I'm so glad to have you here. So guys, if you haven't already, please rate, review, subscribe, listen to some previous shit as well after this. But for now, is in We Need Your Focus because you are going to get your mind blown, mainly because Derek can't help himself. Like, honestly, he really can't. He's done this to me multiple times, um, even though you don't know about that. You have literally blown my mind multiple times. So one of the first questions right off the bat, I'm going to ask you, dude, how did you go from health and fitness to like author, like book and book writing secrets and shit? Yeah. Well, I mean, even before health and fitness, I was, I never thought I'd be a writer because I was a guitar player. So I'm like, I'm just going to become a rock star. That was my, my life's path. So I got a degree in music. And then when I moved out to LA, Uh, to pursue my dreams and playing in a rock band. I was broke, uh, as many musicians are, sleeping on an air mattress, looking for a way to make money. So that's, it was around that time, even a little before I got in the whole personal development world. And uh, I go, okay, well, there's this whole thing about you can start an online business and you share what you know. I remember Brendan Burchard uh, around that time, this is about 2011, talking about Millionaire Messenger. So I go, okay. Yeah, so I was like, I know, I know, music and guitar playing and i know fitness those are like my two big passions and so i go well there's a big market for fitness and i get a bunch of people asking me for fitness advice so let's start a business and it it should be easy right there's all these push button systems you buy and you just you start a blog or you put up some youtube videos you'll make all this affiliate commission and then you just put your product out there and, and you'll make millions and stuff and so i was like i was going through all these uh you know whether it was listening to teleseminars, buying a few courses on the, the warrior forum, you know, for like seven bucks. Oh, uh, when I could afford. And I that was, say, that I was, think you probably, I think you probably may have bought something that either I wrote or from me at that time. Cause I was like constantly putting stuff up on warrior forum at the time. It's possible. Yeah. I was, that, that <laughs> was, that was, that was my mindset at the time. And not that there's, uh, there's some good stuff out there. It's just, oh, um, it's, the, I think a very common thing of thinking, okay, I'm just going to get this push button thing and then make a bunch of money. And then I'll have all the freedom I want to play music and, and pursue my dreams and never have to work as a valet parker or hot wings delivery driver, which is my second job uh, that I was doing. <laughs> so I couldn't do that job. I'd eat so many hot wings. I think that would literally be my life, which I'd eat way too many. What's, what's funny for me is I don't, I didn't even eat hot wings. Like I'm like, oh, I don't eat like deep fried food. So I just deliver them. But the, the thought, well, there I'll go on a slight tangent because it's uh, relevant is that I actually had an opportunity to work at a music store and they wanted to hire me uh, for a music store, which would have been perfect. It was like a big music store, like famous musicians came in there and I was walking out like the guy I went in for the interview, I'm walking out and he's like, yeah, you got like we want to hire you just go take the drug test and, and you'll be fine. I'm like, okay, cool. So I was walking out and I just got this really weird intuition. Like I, I shouldn't take this job. And the reason why is I had these seminars coming up 
that I wanted to attend. And the way I, by the way, I got into seminars being broke was I could volunteer at them. And so that was one of the ways I actually got some, some education. Like, ah, there's these seminars coming up. There's these things I want to do. And if I get caught up in this, you know, working this full-time job, doing all this, I'm not going to be able to go to these events and things that I want. And so that was a, a really, like, it was a, a tough decision um logically but emotionally i was just like i just this doesn't feel right now of course there's no way of knowing uh, what ended up what would have happened if i pursued that but i ended up calling back the guy and being like you know i'm gonna pass on the job then like within that next week i got a job delivering hot wings which is not nearly as good a pay not nearly as uh cool as working in a music store however the reason i took the job is i go i can drive around and listen to podcasts teleseminars, all these different things. So I got a year of just immersing myself in education on marketing and business. And so I look at that and I'm like, how much did I learn from that job that I, that played a key role in ultimately what ended up uh, helping me succeed. Are you going to say something? Incredible. I I was actually going to jump in and just say like, uh, it's really interesting how very few people know about the little seminar hack Whereas if you want to go to a seminar that you can't afford, just say that you'll volunteer. Yes. You are going to be working grueling hours. Yes. You're going to miss some stuff out stuff but it's stuff that you would have never you would have never seen had you not volunteered in fact uh, i think I t- i've told the story to other people before i don't think i've ever shared it with uh, with our group but the way i got my break as a copywriter was i was volunteering at a seminar and i i was gr- i was on green room duty so i had to get them pizzas and everything i remember talking to steven essa and alex goad at the time and they asked me what i was good at because i was trying to be an affiliate marketer and i was like i'm terrible at traffic um, they're like, no, 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 but what are you good at? I was like 18, 19 years old. I was like, well, I wrote this blog post for my network marketing company. 10 people read it and seven people gave me money. And I, I was like, I don't think that's a good number. I think it should be 10 out of 10 or some shit. Like in my head, like my very innocent, youthful mind, I thought that was terrible. And they looked at me and went, you do know that people pay you 10 grand for like half of that number. I was like, what? <laughs> so that was basically my start. But jumping back to it for just like, as we head down this way, like, please continue on. So hot wings, you're there. Please continue. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's funny. It reminds me of Paris Unpropolis, uh, how he got his start. Uh, he's talking about like, he wrote his first letters and thought that it wasn't converting well. So he just got better and better and better without realizing that he was actually converting really well. Uh, so the, the upside of, of ignorance, I guess. Uh, so yeah, back in the, in the journey. So that just, for me, it was the value of education, uh, superseded the short-term gain in money and, uh, how I got into writing then was just like, okay, let's start blogging. Let's start. I had to create a thought, okay, you create a course. That's just what you do. And I didn't really start as a writer, um, in the sense that I just recorded a bunch of videos of me talking and, and did it with a guy I knew who was my roommate and, just recorded like 18 hours of video telling everything I knew about health and fitness. And then I ended up kind of like transcribing, not word for word, but close to word for word, just writing out what I was saying in those videos and created this book and launched my first information product. And this was, I think, beginning of 2012. Launched this uh, fitness information product and had a name your own price uh, on it and then put it out there like on Facebook and telling all my friends and family about it. And I got a few people buying it, but the, it was the most frustrating thing that I put this thing out there and I could barely sell it to my own friends and family where they could pay a dollar, right? They could pay wow. as little as a dollar. So they're like, cool, great job. Like, you know, like the post and all this. And it was, so, I'm like, 
don't tell me good job, go buy it. Like, just give me a dollar, if anything. And so the, the anger I felt at like, oh, I got to, like, I, I thought I was figuring out this marketing thing, uh, but clearly I, I didn't get it. And it's one of those things where as frustrating as it was, I look back and I'm like, oh, there's so much I didn't know about marketing and copywriting <laughs> that I needed to know. So that guy, um, I give the, then the bullet points version of the rest of the story. So I took that, I repurposed it, published my first Kindle book because uh, I got a Kindle e-reader that I won uh, for posting on a blog. I go, oh, I got this Kindle. Let me try publishing it on Kindle. And uh, that sold about three copies in the first month, uh, one copy to my mom. So that didn't work out too well. However, I treated that first book like an experiment. So my second book, that's when I studied, uh, took some courses, you know, did everything I could. And, and it's like, this is going to be the book uh, that I really officially launched well. And so I launched that second Kindle book and that income wise made about 70 bucks uh, in that first month. And that took me months to write. And I'm sure I put way more time, uh, maybe even money into, into the book than it made. So it was cool that I sold it to a few strangers uh, and got some actual reviews, but I'm like, I can't quit my job on 70 bucks a month uh, from a yep. book. So finally the, the pieces came together in December, uh, November of 2012, I attended a seminar and this one I actually paid for. I, I took almost two years of making payments uh, to be able to actually go to the seminar. Which that's seminar when I learned uh, this guy named Brandon Broadwater. Okay. So he didn't, uh, he's not a real big name, but he, he studied with Robert Kiyosaki and uh, he was teaching nothing about self-publishing directly, but it was the missing piece. And that was influence and relationships. So this is my first, uh, not first introduction, but when I really do dove into the world of influence and I got that, I came out super inspired. I went from, I, I go, okay, I'm going to publish a new book. I wrote it in about a week because I had already written so much in the past that I was able to repurpose it, launched it. And within three weeks, it was number one in weight loss in the paid store, made almost $6,000 in royalties in 11 days. Wow. And uh, I go, oh, finally, <laughs> like I cracked the code. And it was this weird mix of like, I can't believe this is happening. And then also, I can't believe it took this long. <laughs> like, yeah, like it should have happened a year ago, right? And so uh, I was just like, oh, I figured it out. And I was so frustrated that there were th um, things that I wish I knew about publishing and, and, and stuff like that, that I go, I want to teach authors or people who are, are publishing all these things that I had to figure out through trial and error. So I ended up uh, creating a course then uh, months later in 2013, uh, did a, I think it was five figures fairly shortly after launching that course. And then I published multiple books that have all become since then number one bestsellers in their, in their categories like self-help and uh, fitness and personal development and things. So it's, I think, I don't know if it's over a hundred thousand book sales paid now, but I, for sure over 75,000 book sales now at this point. Dude, that is so incredible. Now, I have a couple of questions I want to shoot off here. Uh, particularly, what was the big key missing ingredient for you? Because I'm very curious about this. Because I know that some people are listening in on this that are thinking the same thing. Like, okay, I'm in a similar situation to you. I don't feel like there's a missing ingredient. I don't know what it is. And it just seems so bleedingly obvious, but you just can't see it sometimes. Yeah, so there's, I mean, if I look for me, the key missing ingredients was what I learned at that seminar, which was this, this concept of influence and relationships, right? It's and it shifted my focus from before it was much more about like hack, hacking the system. What's what, what are the magic keywords that are going to get me ranked? And, and then what are these 
Fiverr gigs that I can buy that are going to SEO my way to the top. And it was all trying to like hack the, the system. And there's certainly a place for keyword optimization and all that sort of stuff. Then I go, when I, when I published that third book and the book since then, it became much more about, um, well, first of all, there's an internal shift, which was even if this book doesn't sell well, I'm really proud of it. And I think it's going to help a lot of people, my family and friends, and I want them to have this. It's sort of like if I died after publishing this book, I'd be really proud that I put it out there. And that's an important thing to get because that just shifts. It's not outcome dependent. It's like, this is, this is my gift to the world. Uh, and then I'm not as, as attached to what happens and trying to use trickery or whatever to succeed. The other thing though with the influence is the title, the description. I was focused a lot more on influence, which is copywriting uh, in the written form, right? And then- mm -hmm. So that copywriting and then connecting with other people that helped me promote the book. So for instance, one of the things that I did to give a specific strategy was I would send a personal video to some people. Uh, so I mentioned uh, there was a woman, uh, Amy, uh, I forget her last name off, offhand, but Amy had a, a blog and I loved her blog. So I mentioned her blog in my book and then I sent her a personal video. Hey, Amy, I love this. Uh, I love your blog. I love the article you wrote about blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I mentioned you in my book. I got a link to it. I'd love to share your work with more of my readers. You know, if you'd like to contribute like a, a guest bonus chapter in this book, I, I, uh, I think that could really uh, benefit the readers and you can link back to your website uh, in addition to the link that I already included in there or link back to anything of yours. So it's very focused on giving and providing value and connecting with other people. And I repeated that with multiple uh, influencers, bloggers and authors and stuff and had bonus chapters in the back of their book. Now I can't say that made all the difference. That was one piece among multiple things, but it goes to show the shift in my thinking was now about providing value and leveraging the platforms that other people had built versus me just trying to, uh, to do it all myself. Uh, so that was the missing ingredient for me. Now the missing wow. ingredient for someone else who is struggling might be something different, but I can say that was uh, the key piece for me. That's actually incredible. And from what I know, my audience, that is quite powerful because that's exactly what they're looking at. It, it's that shift from uh, when you were speaking, just remind me of the whole Johnny Cash thing when he was like, if you die today, is this the last song that you want your, is this what you want to go out with? And he ends up singing a whole different song with Folsom, uh, Folsom Prison Blues um, in the movie. And that's what his big break was. It's this idea of like, if you died tomorrow, would you be proud of what you put out? And I just love that you have that concept. Now, I know we haven't done my sponsor call as you usually do because everyone's like, where the hell's the sponsor call? Quite simply this, I'm going to do it now because it ties in directly to what we were talking about. You've very quickly identified the 17 mistakes many self-published authors make when they're sabotaging their own success and how to fix them. And you give it away for free on bestsellersecrets.com, right? Yep, correct. Yeah, exactly. So guys, that's our sponsor today, bestsellingsecrets.com. Go check it out. Like Derek's stuff is absolutely brilliant. And again, we're going to speak about this a little bit later down the line, but please go do yourself a favor. If you want to write a book and actually create some more influence for yourself, this is a great way to do it. And I'm sure he's, oh, I can't say I'm sure it's going to be great. I know it's great because I've fucking read bits and pieces of it and I read your emails. So I know they're good and they're great in some places as well, which is brilliant. So that being said, my question to you really has to be down to like, um, 
it's a question because I know this is a dumb question, but I know someone's inevitably going to ask it. So I will be the one that asks the dumb question. When it comes down to front cover page design, how much on that and how much on title does it really depend? Because I know on title there is uh, cash advertising did a whole segmentation to it to show you exactly what the difference between writing a really good title versus a really bad title looks like. But is there anything similar to that in, say, for instance, the front cover of a book? The two most important pieces of a book for sales are the cover and title. Oh, uh, that is so 50%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's now you, you could argue though, the other piece, uh, if it's, that's assuming you're not a, a household name. If you're a household name, you could argue the author name would be even yeah. more important. So you could say, you know, if it's fiction, Stephen King, or if it's Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin, or, you know, depending on the audience. Right. So the author name, Eventually, kind of like even with email marketing, at some point, just who the email is coming from actually transcends the importance of the subject line. But if you, if you go back and say, okay, but I'm not a household name, then it's going to be the title, which is going to, like in the copywriting world, that's the headline. That's the, that's the scroll stopper. That's people browsing and looking with very short attention span. Is this something that's interesting to me? So it's absolutely key. And title being title and subtitle combination, that, that whole factor. So there's ways, you know, maybe you can sell a book uh, without the greatest title and cover, but that's very much the exception rather than the norm. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's most do that. So what, what goes into facilitating a really good cover and a really good title in your book, in your opinion? Like, is there a way to research this or do you kind of like have an idea and hire someone else to do it for you? I definitely hire someone and that's what I would recommend unless you're a designer and unless you're familiar with the genre, I typically, uh, well then if that's the case, I would, I would pretty much always, I can't think of an exception, recommend getting a designer, someone who does it professionally. Now I did some of my own covers in the early days and, uh, then later updated them and upgraded them with a designer. And if I could go back, I would just do a designer, uh, because it, the only reason I even kind of got away with that was because I spent so much time trying to do it and uh, it wasn't as competitive as it is now. Yeah. In terms of uh, what makes a good cover, obviously somewhat subjective, but there's a few important pieces here. It's got to, this is, this is true for the cover, it's true for the title, it's this paradox of it's got to fit in and it's got to stand out. So yeah. it's got to fit in and that if you look at it, you instantly go, I know what genre that is. Right. Sometimes I see I work with so many authors and I, I look at it and I go, it's a nonfiction book, but it looks like a novel. It looks like a fiction book or vice versa. It's like it's a, a, a it's a memoir, but it looks like a ghost story. I remember that off the top of my head. And it's just like there's this mismatch and people are not really stopping to think and really logically analyze what this is they're just scrolling and going does that match my heuristic of what i think of as the kind of book that i'm looking for so that's the first thing it's got to fit in the genre then uh the other litmus test is what i see this on a bookshelf at a at a store right now not that a lot of people shop at uh, bookstores or as many people shop at bookstores these days however the idea is that's does it look professional or does it look like an amateur did it and that can make a, a big difference in the perception so those are a couple things. And then I, in terms of practical tips, if you're going to get a cover designer, find a, a few other covers that you like 
and that can help and then send it to the, the designer for some inspiration, then generally speaking, be more hands-off. Uh, unless you really have a vision that you think you, you, you want to do, typically a designer is more qualified to yeah. do it. So it's kind of like, let them do their genius and, <laughs> and don't meddle with it uh, too much. So that's my tips and, and cover. And I'm going to go as far as seeing that. It still applies with copywriting as well. People are looking at hiring copywriters. Just let them do what they do best. Uh, I think I have the same uh, I have the same outlook with when it comes down to cutting my hair, when I used to cut my hair, uh, would be if I go to the hairdresser and they're like, oh, how do you want it to look? I'm like, I just want it to look good. You know what my face looks like, and I can assume that you have an idea of, like, you do this for a living, so you know what looks good and what looks terrible. I want to go more towards good and less towards terrible. I'm a canvas. Do your thing. And I've never had a bad, I've only had bad haircuts when, um, when I've tried to give direction to the person and they screw it up. And I'm like, okay, that's really bad. So right now I'm kind of lucky because I grew all my hair out. I'm like letting it grow longer and longer as it goes. Um, but one of the questions I really do have when it comes down to the ideas around marketing it, like marketing your books itself and getting traffic, how would you actually start approaching it? Like what would be a basic blueprint for traffic for anything that someone is launching, like as a book? Yeah, so a book, and this, this actually applies to virtually any product online. Cool. But the, the traffic method I recommend is something called the Aspire method. And I looked at what are the top authors, like, let's start with, with this. I don't like a thousand and one ways to get traffic to a book or to market something. So I sometimes see these yeah. articles, even if it's like 101 ways to promote your book. And it's, I'm just like, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I got to sift and sort. I got to decide what's relevant for me. And so I'm very much 80-20 in the sense of just show me the most effective things. Like what are the, what are the top five ways? Uh, and, and sometimes even there's just one or two core strategies that you find get you the vast majority of the results. So I looked over the, uh, you know, the authors that I've studied, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, and I go, what are the common things that they do? What did they say tended to uh, tend to, tends to lead to the most book sales. And I broke it down in this acronym. So Aspire, the A stands for ads. So ads, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, especially for books are great. Uh, platforms like BookBub and different book promotion sites. So this is paid advertising. And that actually helped me with my third book launch and my other things. Ads were a key part. So I put in a couple hundred dollars in advertising, even though I was broke, I still, I did like Fiverr gigs and stuff to raise money teaching guitar lessons. So I use that to help advertise wow. uh, that book. So ads are key. Uh, S is social media. And that's not a big thing I use for book uh, promotion and sales, but it's definitely a good way to engage with an audience and have like a beta reader group getting their feedback on a cover and title. And then certainly people can sell uh, and do sell uh, decently through social media. So AS, uh, social media, the P is platforms and Hal Elrod sold over a million books and in an interview with him, and I've heard him say this multiple places, he's like my number one book marketing strategy. It wasn't going on like USA Today or on these big shows or anything like that. It's like more than anything else is going on podcast. So for him, podcasts are the big thing and podcasts are uh, what I consider a platform. Also publications, guest um blogs or going on like, you know, success.com or entrepreneur could be speaking on a live stage. Uh, but these days, most stages are virtual. Yep. Uh, so platforms is the P I is influencers. So that's like what I did with connecting with other influencers. It's, you see this a lot in New York times bestseller launches. You'll see people be like, my friend is just launch is launching this new book, you know, go check it out. 
I remember Brian Kurtz uh, with Over Deliver. I remember seeing a, you know the copywriter list. Some on they're all you know promoting his book uh, for him. So using influencers R is readers. So getting the readers to recommend the book to their friends. This can be incentivized. But for any product, it's you could also just call this referrals. Right, getting referrals from your customers, your customers, once they realize you have a good product, then that's a long-term strategy where they're referring uh, your, your book to their friends and family or whoever else. And then E, all roads lead back to E. This is what I believe for just about any uh, digital marketing business or even offline business, it all comes back to E and that is your email list, your email marketing. So then going on the platforms, the podcast leads to your email list, the influencers can build your email list, all of that sort of stuff. So again, it's, it's ads, social media platforms, influencers, readers slash referrals and email. And that to me, that simplifies the process of pretty much the most effective marketing strategies. I can't think of too many exceptions can fall under one of those buckets. Oh, dude, that's actually incredible. And just a really good acronym to remember with Aspire as well. And I agree with you. Uh, Dan Candy used to talk about this all the time. It was like everything you should do, everything you put out there should lead back to your email, like get people on your mailing list. And then uh, for his product, I don't know if you remember this from Dan Candy, but what he used to say was he had uh, all his info products wrapped around, but at the core center, all their calls to action were to join his monthly membership program. He was like, no matter what you, whatever you buy, if it's a book, if it's an audio, if it's a program, if it's a $10,000 training, whatever it is, I will always try and get you onto my mailing list to actually buy one of my uh, monthly continuity programs. And yeah, that's how you basically insulate yourself away from like uh, the starvation kind of stuff, really, the feast and famine of it all. Speaking of continuity-based programs here, when it comes down to creating books, particularly actually sitting down and writing them, do you have a process around that now? Because I remember before you said with your second book, it took you a while to get it ready. Like, do you have a process of creation for like writing stuff or no? Yeah, so there's uh, some things I do fairly consistently, uh, like systematically, you could say. Uh, And then there's other things that's just a very organic uh, type of process. So the, on the high level, and we can dive into any of this in, in depth if you want, but I'll start with the high level, which is brain dump. What do I want to, what do I want to talk about with this? And before you do that, let me start back earlier. Cause if, if someone I'm speaking from more experience, so I'll start with what I, what I would teach someone uh, mm-hmm. to write a book for the first time. So first thing is understanding something I call your author archetype. And that's really what gives you your authority. Uh, you could call it your authority archetype. And really, people are going to pri- predominantly be in one of three buckets. They're either going to be a role model, which is like, I've been through what the reader's been through. Like maybe there's a, I think it's a Gary Halbert ad. It's like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I didn't get some degree. I'm just a, like an ordinary mom who found an easy way to lose 64 pounds or whatever, right? Yeah. And that's very much the role model. Like, hey, I don't necessarily have all these credentials and certifications, but I've been through what you're going through and I found a way through it and I'm going to share my story and experience. And if it resonates with you, you take something from it. Great. If not, uh, fine. You know. So that's the role model archetype. Uh, second one is the practitioner. And this is like, you are certified, you are trained. This is like a personal trainer who goes, you know what? I wasn't overweight, but I've helped hundreds of thousands of people get in great shape. So I know what I'm doing. Like I can teach you my process or I'm a therapist. The therapist goes, look, I'm not a, I've never been a heroin addict, but I've helped thousands of addicts recover. 
I have a process for this, right? That's the practitioner who has, that's probably the more stereotypical kind of authority. And then the third uh, is what I call the researcher. So the researcher is someone who studied it in depth and Cialdini to me, at least when he started, uh, now I'd say he's more practitioner, but when he started, he was like, yeah, he was researching. Like I'm being influenced by these salespeople and these things. I want to figure out what they're doing. So he went out and he studied it and he organized it and distilled the information and uh, Tim Ferriss's like Tools of Titans is very much a researcher thing in that a lot of that book is him just collecting other people's expertise and, you know, condensing it down and, and putting it in the book. Which so, is similar to Robert Greene as well. Like one of my favorite yeah. authors of all time, like all of his books are just historical accounts of him going, this is what's there. And now here's how it's played out with these evidential pieces. Exactly. Yeah. So when you figure out what your, what your core archetype is and you'll have supporting, you'll probably have a degree of all three, uh, but knowing which one that helps you go, okay, I know why people are going to listen to me and pay attention to this. I know how to, you know, what this book is going to be about. And so uh, figure that out. Then the next part of the process is understanding who you're writing to. So I remember doing this in the early days when I was publishing my first books was I'd go on Amazon and I'd study similar books. So I remember going to the fitness um, book section. What's popular? What are, what are people saying in the reviews? What are, what are the negative reviews say that is missing uh, from the book or that they didn't like? What are the positive reviews? What are they benefiting from? What are the, the three-star reviews where they're kind of actually like the three-star reviews because they're a little bit more objective. They're not just like this yeah. sucks is terrible or this is the greatest thing ever. It's usually more thoughtful uh, in those, those like three stars. So looking and studying the marketplace and knowing who you're going to write to, and this is key for copywriting, is key for any sort of writing, is having this one person in mind. And I wasn't as, as conscious of that in my early days, but I realized I was, for some of my weight loss and fitness stuff, I'd just be thinking of like, okay, a friend asked me that question. What did I say to them? Oh yeah, okay. And I just kind of speak it out like that or okay, what did my mom say? Because my mom sometimes asks for like advice or she just says, you know, something she's struggling with. And I'm like, okay, so what would I say to my mom? And I think actually a lot of my earlier books were written kind of to my mom in a certain sense. And uh, maybe it's just the market or maybe it's the way I wrote it. It was a lot of middle-aged women who would read the book and like, you know, email me and stuff. So having that clarity on who you're writing to, that's going to help you with the writing. It's also going to help you, of course, with the marketing. Uh, it, all, it all connects together. Then the actual process is, figuring out what are the there's different approaches this is where i'm more intuitive i can teach a process for different people uh for me i'm like what do i want to say about this or what could i say about this and that is just a massive brain dump of ideas what have i talked about in conversations with people what are the questions i see people are asking what are the things i want to say what are the what are the things that frustrate me about this marketplace that um I want to get out there. And my one anchor point that I, I think brings it all together that works for me is what did I wish I knew years ago? What did I wish someone told me about this six months ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? So my ideal reader for some of my books, at least, is really my past self. And if you're wondering who your ideal reader is, it's probably one of two categories. Your past self, like what you wish you knew, or someone who comes to you for advice. Maybe that's a client and you're imagining a client that you work with, like you're writing the book to them or friends or family or something. And you're just thinking about, you know, who do I know that they would, they would ask me about this and then what would I say to them? And having that vision in your mind 
then that helps uh, brain dump. And I remember some brain dumps that were like 30, 40,000 words of just ideas, which becomes a bit chaotic. So I'm not saying that's the best process for everyone, but for me, I just get all the ideas out and then you can go back and go, this is the key thing. Like what's most important for this book. And that means holding a space that you're not going to try to get everything in this book. It does not need a big, I think having the 350 page book, which was the first one I wrote in 18 hours of audio was a mistake because that's overwhelming a lot of people. So the one problem that you want to solve or the one, um, either a step-by-step program or one key laser focus uh, problem that you want to solve in the book. And then you go, what's most important for this book? And then what will be emails, articles, future book, part of a course, having a container like over there. So you're not trying to put everything into this one book. But you go, what is key for this book where if they just get this, cut the fluff out and give them the transformation that they need in this one area. And then that helps me at least uh, in cutting things out and going, okay, I'm not saying no to this forever. This is important, but it doesn't need to be in this book. It can go somewhere else. Um, Then outlining and writing and I could, we could go in depth in the whole editing process, but that's essentially how I get the process going and what I teach uh, for, for clients wanting to write a book. That's actually really incredible. Now I have a, my question really, really just twigged was um, first of all, thank you. Cause that was very in depth and very incredibly powerful. Uh, I'm definitely going to be doing a lot of that. But my question to you is, so with the three types of writing archetypes, or archetypes you have role model, you have researcher and you have a practitioner. How, obviously you're a combination of all three, but how do you know which one you are out of three? Because I have, when you were saying that, obviously, as we always do, when someone says something that's quite, uh, affects you in the way that you want it to, you always internalize and go, how does this affect me? So I'm curious, how do you find that out? Like, how do you find out which one of the three you are? Like primarily? Yeah, well, it's funny enough because I'm actually going to make a quiz on this, uh, which will, will help people determine oh, it. Not it. built out yet, uh, but maybe maybe by the time you check this out, uh, I could get a, a link there. So, uh, but I give the, I give you what I would essentially ask on the quiz. So first thing sure. to recognize is that you're, you're probably going to be a combination of all three uh, to some yeah. degree. So that's the, that's the first thing. It's just, which one are you going to lead with? What's like your main message? And probably the best way I'll teach this is through some stories or case studies, some quick stories. So I have um, one, one student, uh, his name's Patrick, and he um, helps people with binge eating. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he used to be, I don't know. Um, I don't want to quote how much weight he's lost, but it's been a lot because he used to have, uh, you know, binge eating issues and uh, was a, you know, serious addiction and, and problem for him. And he overcame it. And now he's like super ripped in great shape. And he's also certified in some sort of, you know, training or, or whatever on that. Uh, he also works with clients, right? So that's kind of a practitioner thing. And uh, I'm sure he's put in, you know, a good amount of research into uh, the psychology of it and all that. But if you just look on the surface, what's most compelling? Him saying, I got this certification, him saying, I researched this, or him saying, uh, I've lost like over 100 pounds. I was an addict. I was, you know, doing all of these uh, things in secret. And now he's overcome it and he's been lean and fit for the past several years. And now he's helping other people sharing his story. Yeah. Well, to me, his personal transformation is easily the most powerful thing that he's got there. Like that is, yeah. it, no, it's, it's like, 
Yeah. So to me, I go, that very much lends itself to the role model archetype. And yes, mention that you have some certifications that you work with clients. Include that. So that's some of the practitioner, uh, some of your, your, your client success. Because people can say, this is the downside of the role model. All of these are double-edged swords. Well, that worked for you, but will it work for me? Will it work for someone else? So that's where you can support it. And knowing all three archetypes helps you say, well, actually, here's some clients who've succeeded and here's some research that validates what I'm saying, if you have that. Yeah. And it's his personal story that is like, it, another way of thinking about it is if you could, if you had to cut out the other two, which one would be the biggest sacrifice? And for him, sacrificing his personal story and transformation and experience would be the biggest sacrifice. If he didn't mention that he didn't get certified in something, okay, whatever. Um, if he didn't mention that, you know, some of the research, okay, whatever. But his story is really powerful. Yeah. Um, another client, Rosina. She's a doctor. She's a psychiatrist. She's been working for over a decade, uh, maybe close to two decades now. I don't remember exactly how long. Uh, and she wrote a book on stress, uh, stress to joy. So for her, she includes some personal stories about how these stress methods helped her. Uh, when she after she got in a car accident and overcame that so that's kind of she's a role model for some of the things that she teaches she also includes research um, from other therapists and doctors the thing to me though is she's a doctor she's a psychiatrist she's been doing this for decades she has all these clients that she helped that to me is like the most juicy piece of of yep. credibility for her so i'm like let's lead let's include dr rosina on the cover let's include your certifications because you have so much of the credibility in that area. And then yes, let's also include your personal stories in the research. But to me, leading with her credibility as a doctor makes the most sense. And so that would be her, her predominant archetype from so a marketing Essentially, it's, it's figure out what your biggest strength out of the three is and make that the forefront with the other two is supporting. Essentially, you're creating a triangle here where you have your most strongest thing at the front and the other two supporting you along the way. But if you lost them, you could still go well on ahead. Yeah. And, and it's kind of this, uh, again, I think paradoxically, if you have elements of all three, include them. And at the same time, if you don't, you can also leverage the fact that like, let's say someone's a role model and they don't have a ton of research and they don't have a ton of clients. Well, they can still write about that, whether it's a book or something else. And they just got to caveat it and say, Hey, look, this is what worked for me. I'm sharing my story. And these are the things that were most helpful you know, obviously you see a doc, if this were like health, you know, see a doctor and, you know, you know, give all those disclaimers, but you can also, it gives you this ability to frame it. Like, look, this may or may not work for you. You know, you got to find what works for you. I'm going to share, this is what worked for me. And here's how it made a difference in my life. And it's, it allows people to still go, Oh, okay. You know, yeah, I'm open to hearing what you have to say and what worked for you. So you can yeah. still kind of stay in a certain lane um, and then as you gain more experience, you'll probably cultivate a degree more of, of these archetypes uh, and it'll be a blend. And again, like you're saying, you, you still have one that tends to be at the forefront and, and uh, leads the way. Yeah. See, like, again, internalizing this for myself. So anyone else at home is thinking, oh, how, what's an example for Adel or whatever it is? Because I know I'll get that one sometimes. But I think the one that works for me best is the fact that I do have all three because I have a component of practitioner because I work with clients. I've written copy for most of my life, but the one that really kind of gets people caught off is the amount of time I've put into research. Like uh, I recently only revealed that over the course of the last 12 years, I've spent like $50,000 on getting people to have CAT scans while I read copy to them. So I could physically see what words impact and change their behavior. 
And I was like, yeah, who does that? Who, who spends 50 grand on like just, ah, screw it, we're going to do some research over the last 10 years. It happens. We are, thankfully, I have a friend that worked, that used to work in a laboratory that used to be able to help me out with a lot of this stuff. But anyway, so there's like well, different I'll points make, you can run with. Yeah, I'll make, I'll make a quick point here because uh, it reminded me of that. And that is you can be, you can take on a, a different primary archetype for different projects. And yeah. so certain things will naturally manifest themselves from a, a, a particular archetype. So for instance, author archetypes was born out of research. Like I just studied what, you know, I'm looking at all these top authors and I'm looking for patterns, right? I'm like, how do they position themselves? How do these top copywriters even position, even if it's not a book, like how are they positioning these things? And I was looking for the patterns and through all that research emerged this idea of, okay, so these would be the, the main archetypes and the ways that you can position the, you know, the expert behind it or the, the person behind it. So if I'm doing a training or a book on author archetypes, I am positioning that primarily. That's me as the researcher, but I could write another book that is broke Valet Parker to best-selling author, my journey as an author. And that could be very role model-ish where it's a lot more personal stories. Here's what I struggled with. You know, here's some, here's some things that work for me, you know, Hey, try it, but it might not work for you. Um, that sort of stuff. And so you can, uh, you can adopt a different archetype um, based off of the, the project. That's the first thing. And also the project sometimes was born out of the fact that you were doing a lot of research or you were working with a lot of clients or it was your own journey. And so you can look at your origin story of this particular product or idea. And sometimes that will just give you a very obvious indication of which type of archetype to, to lead with. That's pretty awesome. Now I'm curious to say this, have you actually written these books yet about like the different archetype, the author archetypes and, you know, from Valley to like best-selling author, have you done those? So I have a training on author archetypes as part of my, uh, my main course, but I will be planning on launching it more wide, uh, widely for a mass audience um, yeah. to get it out there. And what I'll actually probably do for that. So it's talking about book writing. I'll, I'll just teach a few more classes on it. Uh, take the one class yeah. I did and, and teach a few more and then just take the transcriptions from that and either myself or hire someone to um, put that more yeah, book though. form. And so that's another way I typically, well, at this point I've pretty much, yeah, my books, I've, I sit down and write, but I like the idea of transcribing something. That's something I'm getting more into because um, yeah. it actually is kind of what I did for my first book was take the presentation and write it down. So going back to that now, actually years later and, and taking that approach. Ooh, um, look at you doing a hero's journey on yourself right now. Yeah. The thing is that what the, the double-edged sword of being a writer, once you embrace writing is then it becomes like this, the strength becomes the weakness. So then I'm like, no, I got to write it. I'm a much better writer now. Like I, I want to write it. And so it's hard to let go and actually outsource something. So that's why I'm like, now the flip side is going, let me try to not write something. And it's like, oh, I just want to like, just sit there and write it. But I'm like, I've already pretty much spoken it out. So logically it's probably more effective to just let someone else uh, take like, okay, I got all these words that I've said about it. Someone else can organize it. This is the reason I have an editor on staff, by the way, legitimately, because I speak copy into existence. So once the copy is done, I know myself well enough that I've got to the point where it's like, I could sit here and edit this and make sure it works all right. But to satiate that, because it's going to take me ages, I'm going to be a perfectionist about it, a perfectionist, outsource the editing to someone else and then go over their editing with my own editing eye. And thankfully, I've met someone uh, a couple of years ago, James. He's my main editor, and um, 
he is actually, it's funny, he's not a copywriter at all, but he understands copy than a lot of people realize. So whenever I send him a sales letter, if there's a point where I've not written a sentence in or I forgot to write something in, which does happen from time to time, he'll just fill in the blank. Or if I've said something stupid, he'll like leave a comment going, this is really dumb. Stop making the same mistake. <laughs> I'm like, I love the fact that my editor can talk shit to me like that. It's, it's quite a lot of fun when you have that back and forth. Now, one of my favorite questions on the show, of course, is always going to come down to confidence. Because again, life is all about how you confidently do things. Uh, and we all know the research and studies have shown that if you're confident in what you do, you get a better result and you just feel happier doing it. My question to you is, when life has inevitably kicked you in the balls, because it kicks all of us in the balls from time to time, how do you manage that knock on your confidence now to get back to a place where you feel more confident in who you are and what you do? Yeah, so when I look at confidence, I see it's this, this balance between internal and external. So there's confidence that comes internally, like you're validating yourself, you're owning the fact that you have gifts and, and things. And so that can come from going, okay, life has knocked me down before and I'm still here. I made it all these years. I'm, you know, I, and I, was, I had less knowledge back then. I had less ability. I had less contacts. And yet somehow I got to this point. So of course, if I, if I got through my life in my 20s, when I look back and I'm like, man, Derek, really? Like for certain things, I'm like, if you, if you can recall the times that you succeeded or you've overcome obstacles, you can kind of tap back into that, that confident uh, state again and go, you know, if I got through, if I've been through all that I've been through, I can get through this. You know, that's one thing. The other thing though is as human beings, we're social creatures. And even though I'm a hardcore introvert and fairly internally more driven, uh, I still, there's no getting around the fact that I think getting emails from people being like, man, I love what you wrote there, or that made a huge difference. Or that was, wow, I never looked at it that way. And especially when it comes to writing the imposter syndrome uh, that can come up yeah. like, who am I? What do I have to say that hasn't been said a million times before all that sort of stuff. First of all, that's one of the reasons I created the author archetypes is to figure out like what it is that actually makes something credible to, to be able to own that. But the other thing is as you put things out there and you get that feedback, then it starts to reinforce it. And I, it helped me to, I'd share something that I think is just the most common sense thing in the world. Oh, you're having trouble with, with, you know, developing your biceps. Okay. Well you do this exercise and do it at this angle. You know, the most, I remember this back in college, like to me, the most common sense thing ever, but they're like, Oh man, I never knew that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's probably because I spend, um, you know, four hours a day researching this for the past five years. Oh, that's right. Not everyone does that. Maybe I do have something that people would find valuable, but, it takes sharing it and then getting someone else to reflect back your, your gifts or your, your greatness or the fact that it helped them or the fact that they go, you know, I've heard that a thousand times before, but the way you just said it right there, it finally makes sense to me. And then it's like, oh, maybe people do want to hear from me. Maybe I do have something to offer. So to me, it's like walking, you know, so if you have function, both your legs, you use your left leg and your right leg and you, you cycle back and forth. So to me, it's kind of this, this balance internally and externally where I got to, you obviously got to have enough, a certain degree of confidence to take some sort of action. Then you, you put that action, uh, you put, you put something out into the world and then you get people reflecting back to you 
this is what works about it. This is what is, uh, what is good. And you're constantly cycling between uh, those two things. So, and if I were to give one uh, confidence strategy or how to act um, and to overcome fear, overcome procrastination, all this sort of stuff, uh, talking about if I could share one thing before I die, this would be the one thing that I share. And that is uh, what I call the three magic words technique. And this is based off the research of BJ Fogg, um, who those who are into psychological research might be familiar with. Uh, he he talks about these, you know, these tiny habits, these micro commitments. Well, the three magic words are, can I just, and then you insert a micro commitment. So if this is writing, I go, I don't feel like writing today. Can I just write a paragraph? No, that seems like too much. Can I just write a sentence? Can I just write my name? Can I just open the word processor? And then I can shut it down after that. You give yourself the smallest thing to where it reaches the point where you're like, I'm embarrassed to say no to this. My, I can't, it's harder to say no than to say yes. So you do that. Or if it's exercise, can I just do Stephen Geis who wrote the book, Mini Habits? He's like, can I just do um, one push up? So he does one push up. Well, if you're down on the floor and you do a push up, you think you're going to be like, okay, I might as well do another push up. <laughs> you do a second push. Well, I might as well finish out the set of push ups. Well, I already did one set of push ups. I might as well do two sets. And then it turns into, it turned into a whole 30 minute workout. So by giving yourself these smallest little action steps, what happens is you witness yourself taking action. You start to build up some dopamine. You start to feel more confident because you, you're seeing yourself actually acting, especially you talk about uh, people say, you know, act in spite of fear. Uh, act, you know, get out of your comfort zone or stretch your comfort zone. And while that's useful, I don't even say useful, it's, there's an accuracy in that advice, but to a degree, it's kind of like telling a depressed person, hey, just cheer up. Like, okay, it's not helpful. <laughs> like, technically, that would work, but it's not really an actual strategy. So what right. I like are strategies. And this is the strategy to go, if you're feeling a little fear, take it so it's so small that, yeah, you might feel a little discomfort, but you go, I can do that. And then you do it. And now that now you can reflect back on, well, if I did that, can I do a little more? Can I do a little more? And that will get you into, into action. And the more you take action, uh, the more you put things out there, your writing, your articles, your things, and you're getting feedback from people who are supportive. It's momentum builders. Builds it. Yeah. Momentum generates motivation. That's what I exactly. say. So you get, yeah. Oh, sorry. You were saying, sorry. I just jumped right in there. Go for it. No, no. I was disagreeing with you. That was all. Please continue. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's it. It's just a, it's a way of getting the momentum exactly like you're saying. It's a momentum builder. So instead of going, how do I get, like, I need motivation. Well, okay, if motivation is a result, if it's an effect of momentum, the real question is, how do I get momentum? And what's the smallest thing I can do that will get me into momentum? And then motivation is like the byproduct. It's the fruits of the fact that you've started to take action on these things. So the momentum tree must be planted, ladies and gentlemen, always plant the momentum tree. And that is always going to be one of the taglines. Plant your momentum tree today. Um, what I was going to ask was, as obviously, as you can tell, I have a crap load of books behind me and I know you're, you research a lot. So I know you do. So I was going to ask if you had to give five books and or movies, you know, you can give five movies as well if you want, that people should really go check out specifically just for business life. As these are things that you would give to someone. You're like, you know what? I care about you. Here are five books and here are five movies or whatever it is that I want you to go watch. What would they be? Mm. I know limiting numbers to like five is kind of a hard thing, but I thought, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I'm biased in favor of one book that really made uh, an impact on me because it got me into the whole personal development world. And that is T.R. Vecker's Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Great and book. what I love about that book, even just as an author, studying the way he creates contrast, it's like, uh, I don't remember his wording, but it's like uh, either poor or middle you know, I don't know if it's poor middle class. I'm, I might be thinking Kiyosaki with some of that, but like kind of poor versus rich. And he created this contrast of the different mindsets. And that was not only personally um, inspiring to me and un- helped me understand the mind of how, you know, beliefs and stuff work, but it was also just later on studying how he created this uh, contrasting approach, which I later took into the book, Why Authors Fail, which is here's what struggling authors do. Here's what successful authors do. The whole thing is just contrast, contrast. between those two ideas. Uh, so that's a good book. Huh, I'd have to look at my uh, bookshelf here. Um, I, you know, I'll admit I have not actually read the entire book, The Success Principles, listening to a lot of Jack Canfield and reading some of it. Uh, I like, uh, I like Jack Canfield stuff. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, well, Cialdini. Oh man. Yeah. In anything on influence, Cialdini's influence, Cialdini's persuasion, uh, the book. Yes. Which is Cialdini and a few co-authors. Uh, those three books are just uh, to me, that's just must read, especially in business, but in life in general, because I, I- have my, uh, oh, I agree with you entirely. But the one I was going to add in as well, have you read Cialdini's uh, original research papers for university on influence? Like they're actually different to what was published in the book. It's a, it's a really good audio book as well as a really good book. So I definitely recommend that to you as a, as a fan of Cialdini. Cool, man. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's at the point where I can totally recommend it. Uh, I've loved what I read so, so far. This is from you, Adel, your recommendation of uh, Lipsy's manual. So I just got started with it, but I'm, I'm digging it, uh, really digging it so far. So this uh, is so yeah, anything on um, anything on influence. Like yeah. So that's body language. Oh, actually, you know, I'll, I'll give one more uh, made to stick Ooh. See that on my bookshelf. Oh, that's a good book. That's a yep. really good book. Um, kind of like double backing, by the way, guys, if you haven't already uh, read the ellipsis manual, check out the interview I did with Chase Hughes, the author. Um, I'm getting, I'm planning on getting him back into the studio when I can, because I know he's a little bit busy at the moment, but it's one hell of a good, it's one hell of an impactful book. And uh, I'm sure you've actually figured this out. It's written like a military manual. Like it's very in depth. I gave him hell yeah. for that one. I was like, dude, just my, my, my ADD dyslexic, dyslexic brain hates you. Please release an audiobook version of this. Yeah, it's, it's not written, uh, at least what I've read so far, in a easily um, go implement this right away, action-oriented type of thing. It's much more a little encyclopedia. Easy enough to yeah. read. Uh, we're like structurally uh, in terms of the way the sentences are put together, but just the whole book itself, it's, it's more like a reference uh, manual yeah. from what I've seen so far. For sure. His online courses are pretty much the same, by the way. Um, as well, but like kind of jumping back into it though. Like, so you, so you, movies, let's look at this as movies and shows and stuff like that. What would you actually put up there? I'm curious. <sighs> In terms of like something that you're going to learn from. Or just something that you enjoy I really. I like mean, what I fascinating. enjoy, I, I like, you know, normally I wouldn't say like, I'm a, like a huge sci-fi nerd or anything like that. But when I look at my favorite movies, they do tend to be sci-fi. So the movie aliens, that's one of the few movies I can watch over and over again. Uh, Classic. 
love the movie aliens and i mean anything with the alien uh series i just i don't know something about seeing aliens on screen i love um tv shows like you know it's in a game of thrones as a lot of people were but actually let's think uh this is the sci-fi thing battlestar galactica mm. uh, oh wow which yeah. goes back and it's one of those things where when i i hear battlestar galactica i'm like uh, am i really gonna be into that like it's not my uh sort of thing but sure enough i do seem to get in these sci-fi shows and stuff that's like kind of about human nature and and anything like that so i dig that so since that's coming to me, I'll just uh, I'll say that. I'll see if anything just pops in my mind. Um, X Files, as into so I think I'm into like the okay. So if I tie this back into into a business lesson, you could probably profile me and say I'm the guy who responds well to the mysterious, the secrets, the hidden sort of stuff. Which sure enough, I have bestsellersecrets.com. It's like, ooh, what are these hidden secrets? So I'm like, that's totally, you know, if you if you look at like, you know, who responds to that, that would be, you know, it's, it's written for someone like me. Well, you were selling to your younger self, weren't you? So you know exactly yeah. what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I love, I love stuff like that. Um, do you have any last words before we head off? Um, I will, I'll add one, one final piece. Cause you, you brought it up with the editor, um, piece. And that is whether it's writing a book, whether it's writing copy, so much of this is a co-creation, right? So no matter how, especially if you have the curse of, of knowledge, which you probably will, if you're writing a book, there's no way you can in even the smartest people, uh, and it's because they're smart that it's hard to know is this going to make sense to my audience? Is this clear? Is this confusing? Am I adding too many details? Not enough. So having that feedback from a good editor, from some beta readers, that is key. And you like the top copywriters as well. Um, they, you know, they go and give their, their copy for people to read. And uh, you would probably know this at all. Um, who is it that, uh, oh, I don't want to put you on the spot and say that you do know. Oh, no. Do you okay. know, do you know who um, they would give their copy to people like at a bar or something. And if they're like, this Gary is really Halbert. good copy. Yeah. So Gary, Gary Halbert. Halbert. It was Halbert. He, he'd go down to a place in Florida Keys where he lived and he would walk into a bar and that's the first thing he would do. He'd read it out loud. And if anyone said, just to hijack your story here a little bit, well, Brown, I tend to do that anyway, which is always fun. Had to throw one in there. It's my one per show. Um, yeah. He used to go down in there and just like, he would read it out. And if you gave him anything that was like, Oh, that's really good. I'm really interested. Or like, I'm, that's a really good sales letter. Or like that sounded really amazing. He'd be mad as hell at it because his response wasn't that he wanted you to say it was good. Much like you didn't want people to say, Hey, good job. Thumbs up. You're like, go buy my thing. <laughs> like take it out of my hands. That's when I got a good letter in my hands. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so, you know, he's looking for the feedback. Do they actually go, how do I buy this? I want to buy this, yeah. you know, versus like kudos on your great writing. So the, the moral of the story in this context is uh, if, you know, the world's best, you know, arguably, uh, but I would, I would definitely consider Halbert one of the best and the top marketers, they're all testing things. They're all getting feedback from the market and from other people. So that is, it's not a, it's not a solo activity yeah. uh, unless you just want it to be kind of a, a hope hope and maybe get lucky on occasion if you really want to maximize your odds of success it's a co-creative process and that's where that feedback and that outside feedback is so key and i'd also go and add in that like it all really stems down it all stems from and comes down to research 
if you do your research initially, you write it well, and then you go and give it to the people that you researched it for and their feedback is positive, you're onto a winner. And when I say positive, they're looking to buy from you, which is always a good thing. But Derek, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Dude, you dropped so many goddamn knowledge bombs. I hope everyone is taking notes. Please go listen to it again a second time because, again, I'm going to be writing a book using a lot of your strategies, what you've given us today. And um, just again, please head on over to bestsellersecrets.com uh, and sign up for his list. I'm going to, I guarantee you it's brilliant. You guys are going to enjoy a lot of the stuff. And again, if you want any references, listen back to the show again. I can tell you, you'll get all the references you need. Derek, thank you for being here today, man. Yeah, thanks so much, Adel. Take care, guys. Have an amazing weekend wherever you are in the world. Please rate, review, subscribe, and stalk Derek uh, Depker. It's D-O-E-P-K-E-R. Uh, if I spelled that right, yes, I did. I wasn't even looking. Damn it. Love it. Anyway, guys, take care. Have an amazing day wherever you are, and uh, speak to you soon. Bye.